When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do the Warriors need to be concerned? What can Steve Kerr do to shake them out of their doldrums? Does Clay Thompson get frozen out? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today I am excited to bring on friend of the breakdown, Mark Medina who is the Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News Bay Area News Group. He also hosts the Planet Doves podcast. His Twitter handle is MarkG underscore Medina. And Mark, thank you for coming on the show. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. I remember uh, I always loved being on your show. I remember we were on what a year or so ago where we were talking about just all the ugliness surrounding the state of the Lakers when I was the Lakers beat writer down in L.A. for the L.A. Daily News. It's real interesting now. It's a whole change of events. I'm covering the defending uh, world ch- or NBA champions. So it's uh, it's an interesting dynamic, which is how different it is. Oh, sure. We could go even farther back than that when you came in to do a live green screen show. Oh, with yeah, YouTube studios. studio. That was awesome. That yeah. Was awesome. Now, that was probably like 2012, maybe, or something, right? Yeah, I remember we're talking about Dwight Howard's free agency. <laughs> oh, wow. That must have been Unbelievable. It, yeah. That was only six years ago. That is insane. So, yeah, so definitely, uh, you know, Friend of the Breakdown is a, is an app title for you for being a part of the conversation for so long. And uh, I was excited. I, I ran into you up in the Bay Area this past weekend. I was hanging out with the Warriors a little bit and checking out the game between the Spurs. Um, and I, let's just talk about it. what were your general impressions of the Spurs game itself on Saturday night? Well, it's real interesting. The Spurs never die when you think, okay, this is the time that they are going to do it. Uh, they never do. Even, I mean, Tim Duncan's been retired for a while now, but they, they haven't had Kawhi Leonard all season, and uh, Tony Parker's been out, but they're a well-tuned engine. And I think what was really interesting in the context of Warriors-Spurs, um, this illustrated they could be a pretty good playoff matchup. The Spurs always are. Uh, but it also illustrated that at some point, the Warriors star power, the Warriors depth eventually comes into overdrive. So what you had was the Warriors not having the best start, but finally they got together. Their second unit uh, came out to, to slice away the deficit. And then the third quarter, it was just guns blazing and the Warriors just kept uh, making shot after shot. And that's been kind of the, the theme this season where they're almost like any normal defending NBA championship team. They're kind of trying to navigate that season of, they don't want to skip steps, but they know it's a long season. Uh, they don't want to get bent out of shape when they're not playing well because no, they know it's a long season. But there are stretches where sometimes the players and Steve Kerr get a little bit concerned that some of those bad habits become a trend. Well, let's talk about the trend for a second there because um, I'm looking through some stats and I'm really fascinated by the net rating of the five-man lineups that uh, Kerr has been playing and when you look at um, the last 19 games, which is basically when Steph Curry came back after his brief mm-hmm. injury out, um, 
The starting lineup has played the most minutes by far, 12 games, 160 minutes. Their net rating is negative 5.7, and their defensive rating is 118.4, which I think would probably be last in the league if I check it real quick. Yeah. What is going on here? Is Now, is this a first quarter thing only? Because it seems like the third quarter is better. But why is their starting five such, such a difference from in years past? Yeah, it's interesting because these guys have four all-stars on the team, and they're not playing like that at all. A lot of, I think, if you look at the numbers, Nick, the first quarter and third quarter differentials are entirely different when you're looking at production plus minus. And it's a real interesting school of thought that makes this issue a little bit complex, gives the team a little bit of an excuse, but also gives some perspective where you have two things in play. The Warriors getting off to slow starts has to do with what we're talking about, the complacency, they're a little bit bored when they don't face a team that's you know not the Celtics or the Cavaliers or any potential playoff matchup, they feel like they can just go through the motion. So you have that side of the coin. But then you have the other pragmatic side of the coin where the Warriors are a target. They're the defending champs. Every team wants to give them the, their best shot. And for especially teams that aren't on anywhere near the Warriors level, they know that there's very little margin for error. So they're coming out of the games, just throwing the kitchen sink at them, exerting a lot of effort. Uh, you're seeing coaches play up a lot of intri- draw up a lot of intricate plays, and the Warriors and they've noticed this trend, so they feel like they can kind of rope a dope them a little bit, wait them out. They know at some point uh, they'll get exhausted, fatigued, and then that's when the second unit comes in, the second quarter, and then the third quarter is when those starters just start pummeling them away. What's interesting within that framework, the second quarter thing has actually only been a trend as of late. Their bench identity. Uh, until now has been actually pretty inconsistent. But because of guys like David West and Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, even though Andre's shot isn't good, they've been really able to fortify a unit that helps chip away and make up for some of those slow starts. So because of all those different things, that's what's made this Warrior season very fascinating. And I think a challenge for both Steve Kerr and his staff and the players to properly navigate. What are you hearing, though, in the, play, in the locker room from the players themselves about this? I mean, are they trying to just shrug it off and just say they're in the midst of a four straight finals run and it's February? Or do you, are, are you hearing other things that might be a little bit concerning about, um, you know, whether they're going to shake this off and turn the, turn the switch on? Yeah, it's a really good question, Nick. I think before last week, what you were hearing were all those cliches of it's a long season and uh, it's a process and they're coming off of three straight finals runs. They were in China uh, during preseason. But last week when they lost three or four games uh, against teams that frankly weren't good. I mean, OKC is good, but they had a really ugly uh, loss against Utah. They won against Sacramento, but it was Sacramento should have won that, but they're just inept and the Warriors had like 25 turnovers and then Denver's a good team, but they just weren't bringing it. I think it's after that stretch from body language, the way the players and uh, Steve Kerr were talking about, it wasn't a state of panic, but it was a state of being open that these are problems that you can't just sweep under the rug because we have a lot of talent. Those specific games showed that, even though they have a lot of talent to make up for some of their miscomings, their issues in terms of turnovers, fouling, how they handle their emotions with officiating, those weaknesses were all glaring enough to make them expose where talent couldn't always compensate for those issues. So I think right now they're trying to dig themselves out of it, 
hasn't been the best performances against Dallas and San Antonio, but I think they've turned a corner, relatively speaking. And now the hope is they can end the All Star, or they can end these past two games, Phoenix and Portland, on a somewhat good note. When they get to the All Star break, they hit the recharge button, and then you're going to see a much stronger effort, tighter rotations, and you'll see just the way the NBA schedule is. These games will feel more purposeful because it's closer to the playoffs and there's going to be more implications in terms of the standings. For sure. What's frightening is that when they come back, when the teams come back from the All-Star break, there's only 23 games left. It's like the season is almost over at this point. Um, that all makes sense to me. Uh, it was funny because I just did a video, uh, if you, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, uh, basically it was, the title was How to Beat the Warriors. And it was funny because <laughs> I mentioned it to Steve Kerr when I was up there, and he hadn't seen it yet. But he goes, well, let me guess, be physical with us, turnovers, our shooting. And, I was, and it literally was in the exact order <laughs> that exact I had order. done it. Wow. <laughs> it was crazy. I was like, are you, you sure did you didn't see there. it? Yeah. Um, and so it seems like, there are some issues, though, and certainly, you know, being physical with this team, um, you know, can cause problems. I suppose the only issue there is how many of the Western Conference teams are out there that can play that physical ball like the Thunder have. Now, the Rockets have also beaten them twice. Of course, once was on opening night, which could very well be a toss up on that one. But um, that's the question. Who has athletes, do you think, that could be physical enough like we saw with the Thunder? Well, I'll couch my answer with saying that even with these issues, unless the Warriors' main four guys, right, Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, unless any of those guys have a major injury, Mm -hmm. uh, they're winning the NBA championship. But I think uh, what you've seen, the Rockets, I think OKC in particular, even, uh, I mean, Boston for sure, they were able to get a win there. The the three things that they were able to expose – Uh, take advantage of the fact that the Warriors are very turnover-prone. They like to be fancy with the ball. It kind of plays into their their carefree almost and and wanting to play with joy, but it leads to bad mistakes. And I think someone like Houston, Oklahoma City, they can get out on the open floor and take advantage of that with transition opportunities. I think Houston, uh, and you saw in the regular season against Boston as well, they were most effective and taking advantage of the Warriors' second weakness. That was the fouls. Uh, Houston gets a lot of trips to the free throw line to begin with. James Harden is most notorious for doing that. But with Houston in particular, that, I think, did two things. Or actually three things. The Warriors got into foul trouble. All of a sudden, their rotation shrank. They can't be as aggressive. Houston's getting free points at the the free throw line. And then third... It's taken away Golden State's half-court game. And Houston loves to play in the full court, so they're the only ones that really had the advantage there. And then I think the third, which kind of ties into the fouls, is they haven't had a good track record this season in handling the adversity that comes with the officiating this year. Uh, you know, Draymond Green has 14 technicals. I think Kevin Durant has 11. You know, Steve Kerr, to his credit, points some uh uh finger point at himself. I think he has five. You know, Steph Curry had his mouthpiece incident. So I know it's been a league-wide issue of, you know, this new wave of referees and how players are responding to it, just that kind of the give and take, the back and forth. But with all that said, the Warriors have not responded the best. They have the most technicals. They have the most ejections. And that, I think, I wouldn't want to say it's surprising. You've seen, you know, in the finals most notably two years ago against Cleveland where, 
Draymond had that infamous incident with LeBron in Game Five. He winds or Game Four, he winds up having that suspension. Steph Curry throws his mouthpiece, he gets fined. But typically speaking, uh, Nick, like most defending NBA championship teams, they they have that cloth of their their battle tested. They know how to handle adversity. Um, you know, these kind of issues are what inexperienced playoff teams go through or young teams go through. So that part, I think, is a little striking. And Bob Myers addressed that whole issue last week um, about improving that. So we'll just I'd like to think they can improve that, but they just have to prove that they can. Oh, for sure. And I'm also sure people out there have felt the same kind of frustration that Draymond feels when online dating. Random matches, judging by someone's picture, none of these methods work quite like eHarmony. Because at eHarmony, they are looking for your perfect match by using years of science, data, and psychological research to send you the right matches. So this isn't a swipe to the right hookup site. It's a place when you're ready for a meaningful relationship. I couldn't get over how thorough the registration process is and left no doubt that they'd find a good pool of matches to choose from. Right now, you can get a free month of eHarmony when you sign up for a three-month subscription by entering my code COACH at checkout. Stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love, eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started and enter my code COACH at checkout. The, the push and pull of Draymond is you want him to play with that ferociousness and that emotion. Mm-hmm. It's, what, it's what makes their defense so amazing. But then that will clearly connects with him getting into trouble. He only, how many more technicals until he gets suspended? He has two more. Yeah, He's at 14, so that he gets right. two more. He's going to have that one-game suspension without pay. And then from my understanding, from that point on, you basically can go up to two more technicals and then you get another suspension. So yeah. once he gets to that point, it's kind of the point of no return. Now, granted, it is the end of the season. Once the playoffs start, that the reset button hits on that. But still, I'm not so concerned for, for – I mean, if I'm the Warriors, I'm not so concerned of maybe Draymond has a suspension. But I think it's more of the idea of the team as a whole, including Draymond, of, hey, playoff basketball, it's going to be physical. Calls aren't going to go to your way. You have to handle – those emotions well because at that point the consequence of having a technical an extra possession with the other team could decide the difference in a playoff game oh i i agree and i feel like that's the argument that draymond will present to steve kerr would be something like what do you want you want me to play like i play or do you want me to play like without any emotion and not get that technical fouls and of course you know steve kerr has to say no you have to play you know the way you play best which is that way on the edge um, and it reminds me a little bit of Rodman when he got to the Bulls in 96 when they had that their 72 and 10 year. There's that famous clip of Scotty like basically tackling him before he could go and <laughs> run at the, at, at the ref. Yeah. And then the next shot is Phil on the bench laughing too, which I thought was the best reaction because you can imagine like Tibbs or some other coach might not have been laughing at that. And they were able to diffuse. So that's the question is I, I wonder if like that's what they're missing too is they don't have a guy on that team who's going to like – get in between Draymond and the ref enough to get him to defuse right away. Yeah, I, I think, you know, maybe guys like Sean Livingston, David West, as like established vets, they can do that. But to your point, I mean, Draymond Green, the, 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 I guess the phrase just of how ironic it is, he was the one that was trying to calm Kevin Durant down one time when he got ejected. Mm-hmm. 
Now, what's interesting, and we know it's Draymond Green. He has emotions. This has been kind of the story of his career. Um, but I think even though I understood his frustration this past week in particular where Jeremy Grant from OKC elbowed him, he got a bloody mouth. He had to get actually some dental work. There was no call, even though the officials were on the baseline there. Then I think his technical the other night against Dallas where he was kind of dismissively waving. It is in the rule book, but it wasn't that demonstrative. And from his, from Draymond's point of view, he was trying to get the ball off his shoulder after making a layup. He wasn't trying to cause a delay a game penalty. But with all that said, to his credit, he has shown how he can navigate this. He went through 13 games just recently where he didn't pick up a technical. And what he did on those games, he still played fiery. He was still that physical guy. But any time... The officials called a, uh, made a call that they didn't agree, that he didn't agree with. He turned the other way. He did not engage with the ref at all, whether in words, body language. There was zero interaction. All he did was he walked the other way of the side of the court, and whatever frustrations he had, he expressed them, but it was away from the officials. They could not see it or hear it. So I think, you know, if you're looking for a solution, I know that Draymond was expressing frustration recently that he doesn't know what to do. But to his credit, he showed what he can do through those 13 games that at this point, there's no point in even trying to engage because obviously officials haven't taken kindly to him, his demonstrative behavior. But even if he's maybe trying to take a different tact of having a conversation or even giving positive reinforcement, Maybe the officials will wonder his intentions there. So I'm not a – he plays the game and knows the game much better than I do, but I'm speaking from the vantage point of what he showed those 13 games. All he needs to do is apply it there, and I think he'll be fine. Yeah, I like that idea. That's a really great – you know, that's the thing. is, you can, Are there tools that you can develop on your own to help you cope or whatever? Uh, the funny thing I thought was with, with Holdcamp against the OKC, the, the woman referee um, – you know, it was really, A, it was really strange. She seemed, because, you know, you never know where you're going to be, the slot, the lead official, the trail official. It just, you know, in the flow mm -hmm. of the game, it changes rapidly. She kept being the one who had to blow the whistle every single time for like a while. I don't know if you noticed that, but it was so weird to watch where, and, and it, the action was right in front of her. She, it was her call. She had to make it, but like, it was strange. And then, but then you see her, like Draymond is arguing. I don't even know if it was the bloody mouth one, but he's arguing with her about something. And she's like, get out of my face, Draymond. Get out of my face, Draymond. Yeah. And, well, that and was like that. Yeah. yeah. And that's a, that's yeah. a technical I, foul. If the referee gets to you and says it twice and you don't, then you're going to get a technical foul. And that's, you have to accept that. And I thought that was right. interesting. Right. Yeah. That was the, the interaction with uh, Lauren Holkamp was uh, rooted from the Jeremy Granites. And that was his first technical foul along the baseline. And then he got ejected. I'm forgetting who the official was, but this was in the second half where he got called for a foul. He just kind of dismissively handed the ball off to the official, and that's when he got ejected. But I know the Warriors in particular, like they weren't, they're not going to like comment publicly by name, but I know that they're frustrated specifically with Lauren Holdkamp. She was also the one that made the call. It didn't decide the game. They were down by so many points by that point, but she was the one that made the call where Russell Westbrook literally fell on his own two feet, tripped yeah. over himself, and they, it was weird. They called it against Kevin Durant live action, and then the scorebook says it was on Andre Iguodala. But I think in the Warriors' mind, this was kind of one of those things, well, the frustration was somewhat warranted, but the problem is they've had such a track record earlier in the season where they could have handled their emotions much better. I got some more stats for you. I was looking this up the other day. I'm kind of checking it right now while we're talking, but basically it looks to me that 
Uh, Kevin Durant this year was taking uh, one and a half more field goals a game. It's, eh, it's about one more now. And we saw that Clay and Curry had pretty much that was the difference. They were losing shots to him more. Clay is actually scoring only 20.1 points a game, even though he's shooting really well from three. Uh, is, is that dynamic an issue between them? Do you, I mean, I, I kind of see on Twitter and I think it's nonsense, but I feel like I just want to ask you, you know, is there a notion of like, maybe they, you know, Clay might not throw it to Durant sometimes or vice versa. Um, I haven't seen that. I think, um, on average, some of Durant's numbers, um, specifically a lot of it had to do with Steph being out for 13 games. So just by design, uh, his usage rate went up. And I think to Durant's credit during that time, he really had a cool blend of exerting on a leadership role. Obviously, he's <clears throat> the most talented scorer out there, but he wasn't necessarily high volume. I mean, there were a few games it was high volume. But for the most part, he was still efficient. He still set guys up. The other point that he made about Clay is really interesting. And it's not an issue because it's Clay Thompson. Uh, I think if it may be another player, it could be an issue. There's really weird stretches where he'll fire maybe four or five shots open the quarter, and he's he gets 10 points off the bat. And you think, oh, my gosh, this is a Clay Thompson 60-point night. And all of a sudden, they go away from him. And Clay doesn't complain about it because this is Clay. Um, and I don't think it's intentional, but I think it's almost subconscious where they do move the ball purpose. I mean, there's sometimes they're going ISO, but it's almost like Clay is taken for granted so much that it's almost caught up to them where he's not going to be demonstrative of calling for the ball and he's available and he's there, but they just don't think, Hey, we need to have a conscious effort to get him the ball because he's always shown he can always catch and shoot whenever you get it to him. And so it's an interesting trend. Like, I don't think it's intentional, by any means, at least the way I read it. Um, but I think it speaks to if it was someone other than Clay Thompson, that could have definitely been an issue this season within that dynamic. Oh, yeah. Well, here's an interesting thing I want to throw out there, because when you look at the turnovers, they are maddening, especially from a, a coach's point of view. You just want to pull out your hair saying, what are you doing? Yeah. But, but almost equally as frustrating is their shot selection sometimes. And Clay is usually the, the main culprit of that, where he'll just take a shot, just to take a shot. Probably in that reaction, maybe he won't say anything, be demonstrative, but he's like, I am going to take a shot now. But here's the thing that's interesting. He has trimmed down the shots this year, and he is by far shooting the best of his career. You know, his effective field goal percentage is much higher than it's ever been. His three-point percentage is higher. His, his field goal percentage overall is much better, and also from two. And I have to think that, that part of the reason that he's trimmed away a couple of those really bad doozies that would be misses because they're bad shots. And I'm wondering if that's maybe a connection now that they're going to make, saying, oh, wow, I'm going to be much more efficient. Yeah, I know there were a few games. I think when Steph, there was a game where both Steph and Durant were out, and, and you kind of saw a window of, uh, hey, if this is Clay's team, it's going to be a lot harder. I know there was also <laughs> another game when Steph was out where Clay forced up a shot and Draymond got in his ear about it, and it wasn't it wasn't anything dramatic. I mean, Clay took it and he expressed appreciation that Draymond held him accountable. But I think another thing that goes into Clay's efficiency this season, which I talked to him about earlier in the year, is he came into training camp in much better shape than in previous years. And that's not to say like he was out of shape. It was just that he was in absolute peak shape this year where 
he was doing around the clock training throughout the summer. Like he got his rest, but for all the stuff that was mentioned about, Hey, China clay, and he's having fun with his nightlife overseas. A lot of those times he was doing workouts. And then when he was in LA, he was doing workouts on the beach. He hired a personal chef to, to make his, uh, make his meals. So his diet's better. And you compare it to the previous year. It's not like he was loafing around by any stretch, but what it was is he's in deep in the finals. Then he plays team USA. So he's still being active, but then he rests the entire time after that, which he should have done. Like he's playing a lot of minutes, a lot of miles. That's what you do. But because of that framework, he was able to get some more training this off season. And I think most importantly, he tweaked his diet where it's not like he was always eating junk food or anything, but he was really fine tuning where he has a personal chef. Now that's just micro analyzing everything. And I think that's gone into play as well as, as far as not only his shots, but, the fact that he's only missed one game this season, he hasn't had an injury at all, and he missed one game for quote-unquote rest purposes, uh, I think a lot of that's gone into play with all those things. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny. I was scouring it through the Mercury News a little bit to get some more tidbits before we started to uh, record today, and I noticed that um, is, now is it you guys have your stuff behind a paywall now. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how long it's been since then, but, you know, as you know, Nick, we're in the information age where people want to read content, but we're finding which, uh, different challenging ways to monetize. And I think um, I think it's a good investment. I mean, not just because I work for the Mercury News, right? <laughs> right? But when you look when you're breaking it down economically, I think the price range is if you were to subscribe uh, digitally, I think it's on average like two dollars and fifty cents a week. Right. And yeah. even if. It, Here's the thing. If you're just a Warriors fan, I think that's worth the price. But the Mercury News is a local newspaper, so it has all the Bay Area sports coverage. It has all your local news coverage. So uh, I think it's worth the investment. We're, we have a lot of resources that cover the Warriors specifically. Like I travel full time. I went to the China trip preseason. I'm at all road games, going to be at all uh, the playoff games. And I have two colleagues, Melissa Rowland and Logan Murdoch, that also contribute. And I think – you know, it's a real competitive beat, and there's a lot of good writers out there that cover the team. But we've tried to do a good mix of, hey, kind of fill in the day-to-day demands in terms of news and what comes out of shoot-arounds and game coverage. But we also do a lot of features, a lot of deep dives into things. And I, I you know, I think when you're just looking at it cost-wise, like two dollars and fifty cents, you're a Warriors fan. Like that's not really a lot to, to, to sure. ask for. And, you know, and I bring it up because, as an announcement, bballbreakdown.com is going to go to a freemium model where we're going to have a lot of yeah. free content. And we're also going to have uh, some deeper, in-depth articles uh, that behind a paywall and then also some access to me directly for some live shows, too. So uh, just, you know, my ears pricked up when I saw that. I wanted to at least talk about it for a second and let everyone know out there that, yeah, you know, and it's going to be the same kind of low price. It's a little bit of a thing to help us uh, maintain our standards and continue to provide excellent content. So, yeah. uh, cool. Yeah, and you know what? Totally unsolicited. I'm sure you'd welcome this feedback. Like, I, I can't emphasize enough. Like, when I see you out in the field, Warriors, like, you can definitely tell that guys like Steve Kerr and the players are very well aware of the great content you, that you provide. And, and you're able to, I think, provide, like, a unique set of perspectives and, and content that really help explain the game. So if you're like a basketball junkie or just a casual fan, like this is a really good window in learning different things. And I think it's also a new avenue 
for players and coaches to talk about, like, you know, just general media, like they're always talking about the news and the day to day. And I think with your platform, like they're really able to break it down in a smart, understandable way uh, of different basketball concepts. And I think there there is a, a huge demand for the, that kind of basketball uh, coverage. Oh, first, well, thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, I, I was made fun of mercilessly having my fanny <laughs> pack on, talking to Steve Kerr on the court. And a uh, friend of the breakdown, uh, Let's Go Warriors, on, the, uh, on Twitter was tweeting out a video of that. Uh, and then JaVale <laughs> gave me a thumbs up later with a fanny pack. There you uh, go. Which is nice of him. So uh, at any rate, yeah, I mean, well, you know, before we wrap this up, I thought we could talk a little bit about uh, any of the possible trades that were like going to happen or what the Warriors have been trying to do. Were there any, did you hear about any possible stuff that was, they were trying to make happen? Yeah. Um, I, I know that the Warriors ideally were trying to get some secondary scoring. When you're looking at just some of their issues, their outside shooting with their bench unit isn't good. Um, I think they're ranked toward the high 20s in terms of bench scoring. Now, the caveat is that obviously they're a top-heavy team. A lot of times uh, Steve Kerr will stagger his bench unit with a Clay Thompson, a Duran, or a Draymond, and sometimes they're taking the lion's share. But they are definitely were looking at doing that. Maybe they're considering trying to see if there's any – packages that would allow them to reduce some of their front court depth because they have a lot of bigs but i think there's a few things that came into play uh they did not yeah yeah they 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 want to keep their first round pick so that they feel like that's a premium of getting a guy that the young guy they can develop i think they're also aware like jordan bell is supposed to be evaluated later this week or after the all-star break so he's expected to be back this season but there was an awareness of him or any other big. Maybe they get hurt at some point. The fact that they have a lot of bigs to work with might actually help them down the long run, whether it's an injury or just matchup purposes. Like Steve Kerr loves to tinker with that rotation. And then I think the other part that they're valuing was continuity. Like even though uh, the Warriors bench isn't the greatest, like they felt like the fact that they were able to have that continuity from this past season really goes into play with even when you're looking at the top heavy guys, like just the familiarity, the team oriented mindset. And they felt like because of how successful they are, they'll stand pat. Um, that's not to say that they're not looking at potential buyout candidates. I know like Marco Bellinelli was a guy that intrigued them, but I don't think they're like breaking the bank to try to do these things like they're only going to do it if it's on a minimum deal and they would have to waive a player um so i think my expectation is they'll stand pat and you know this is probably one of few teams that you would say hey that's a good thing they're obviously the warriors they're defending champs they have a lot of good talent so maybe down the line is when they would have to make tough decisions as far as what they do with their roster but you know that's what the offseason for a lot of these bench guys are going to be free agents so that's when they'll see, you know, what combinations as far as that rotation goes would be best served for them. Sure, sure. And you can see when you're looking at the um, the five-man lineups and how many minutes they're playing, uh, the tinkering you mentioned with Steve Kerr, you know, after the top, the, the first, uh, the starters have played in the last 19 games since Steph came back. They played 12 games together, 160 minutes. And after that, there is the um, a, a interesting lineup with Draymond Green, Iguodala, Sean Livingston, Clay Thompson, and David West. That's her second most played in terms of minutes. And then after that, it drops down so precipitously, which means to me, yeah, that Kerr isn't playing any five-man.
that line has very many minutes together at all. And I have to imagine that probably contributes some, to some degree to the unevenness and maybe the, the reason why once they cut the rotation down for the playoffs, you'll start seeing plus 20 again on those net ratings and plus 15 instead of plus six or, or in the negatives. Yeah, and when you're breaking down the bench identity, like David West has been dependable numbers-wise, presence-wise. Um, Andre shot, Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, they've been struggling with their shot, but Steve Kerr, even though there's complications of like, you want to have Andre be a threat on the floor so he can play with some of those star guys to make that death lineup. Other than that, Steve has mostly downplayed Sean and Andre not shooting the ball well because of all the other positive attributes they have. But when you re- look at the rest of the reserves, you really don't know what you're going to get. Nick Young has been very inconsistent with his shot. Patrick McCall is a young guy that has been struggling with kind of finding his way, struggling to find uh, you know his comfort level with being assertive. Omri Caspi has been dealing with two challenges of staying healthy and then two – Steve Kerr will gush on and on about Omri Caspi's basketball IQ and his cutting and how he gets open, but he seems gun-shy of taking open three-pointers. And you need to have that on your team. Like, he doesn't have to be the main guy taking that because they have guys like Steph and Clay, but he's been almost reluctant to take open shots. I think because of those guys, that's made it very challenging of knowing what bench rotations to do. And then as far as the bigs go, it's been a combination of Steve wanting to chase matchups. So sometimes he goes big, sometimes he goes small. But also, it's been things of their inconsistency. Like on one hand, Jordan Bell has been this real promising rookie. He has a lot of athleticism that you can't teach and seems to be a guy that you could build long term. But there's a lot of fundamentals that he lacks. Kavon Looney is kind of the opposite. Like he is your stable, solid guy that will hold the fort down, but he doesn't do anything spectacular. And then JaVel McGee has shown like bursts of energy in certain games. And then there's times where you see he's struggling, kind of adapting the modern NBA of being able to defend out in the wing. And so because of all those varying moving parts, that bench identity has always been fluid game to game. For sure. Well, what was fluid as well is this conversation, because we certainly ran through the gamut of what's going on with the Warriors and whether or not they're going to be able to win. Um, I do want to remember, before I forget to, uh, to tell everyone, if you like this podcast, make sure to head over to iTunes and give us a, a rating and a review. That always helps. I'd like to see more of those. And also make sure to check out Mark's podcast, Planet Dubs Podcast, and also his, his Twitter account, Mark G underscore Medina on Twitter. Um, well, Mark, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us and breaking this stuff down. This was great. Yeah, Nick, I can't thank you enough for having me, for plugging all the things. It's it's real fun talking hoops with you. And again, you got to subscribe to Nick's website. You got to subscribe <laughs> to my website. We will give you a lot of bang for your buck here. Awesome. Well, that is a great way to finish this up. And I can't thank you enough for coming on. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Mark? Oh, I'm in. Sign me up. Sign me up.